Welcome to Bloodstream, the UK's only podcast about blood cancer. I'm Charlotte, Advocacy Officer at Leukemia Care. This time, I was joined by two of my colleagues. Zach is our Patient Advocacy Director, and Nicole is our Fundraising and Communications Director. We're also joined by Kate and Chris. You might remember Kate from a previous podcast. She was diagnosed with acute promyelocytic leukemia at 30 years old. Chris is a trustee for Leukemia Care and a chronic myeloid leukemia patient. Today we chatted about myths, conspiracies and fake news about cancer and why it's important for us to fact check and possibly show our emotions more. Enjoy. Um, I'm joined by Nicole. Hello. Zach. Hello. Kate. Hi. And Chris. Hello. Today. Um, And we are going to talk about myths and sort of things that cancer patients don't want to hear and all sorts of weird and wonderful things like that which might lead me on to the hat now you might be wondering why we've got a hat today we're gonna pick out myths um that we found on the internet or things we hear a lot from patients and we're gonna chat about them so shall i dive straight in (laughs) yes let's see what comes out there I thought there were moths. Uh, <laughs> your favourite ones come up first. <laughs> so, special diets or superfoods or things like that mm-hmm. can cure or prevent cancer. Who wants to say something to do with this first? Can quiet. I just start off with one thing? Yeah. <laughs> so, and I've written this down on my notes, that there's this huge misconception that all people who are diagnosed with cancer have a poor diet to begin with. Yeah, that's and a good that really bugs me yeah. um, because I always eat healthy. I'm sure you did too. I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, but, that, but that shows that it doesn't matter, does yeah, it? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. And I get quite annoyed when people say to me, have you tried eating this? Have you tried that, that, that? And it's like, okay, I do eat healthy anyway. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to start with that. That's, no, a, good that's a good place yeah. to start. Yeah. yeah. Clearly there's benefits to healthy eating, yes. but no no more particularly different than there is the same kind of diets for ge- for general life in terms of healthy eating. I suppose there's also the neutropenic diet for people yeah. who obviously need to have a, like reduced infection risk. Mm-hmm. Yes. I looked at it as a marginal gain after diagnosis, that I drank way too much before diagnosis, and I said to my doctors, has the drinking got anything to do with this? And he said, no, definitely not. But afterwards, I thought, well, actually, if I, if I drink less and eat healthier and do the whole vitamin thing and exercise, that's going to help me in my journey onwards. So, yeah, I... I yeah, and I suppose there's there's arguments that the fitness of someone is important in terms of their treatment for particular leukemia types. So, say CLL patients, there is an argument for after diagnosis having a having a better diet, so you're in the best possible shape when you undergo treatment. And it's not the be all and end all; it's just a general recommendation to live a healthy life. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. No one's ever said that healthy diets will fix things. That that's not the intention of eating healthy. The intention of eating healthy is just to I guess balance things out. That's yeah, probably the way to put it, but like to prevent illness, it can't fix illness once it's already occurred, mm-hmm. and it certainly isn't the reason, necessarily the reason why people get ill in the first place either. But culturally, we we're we're bombarded with these headlines, like the one that you mentioned earlier about the wine and the cigarettes and stuff, and it's the tabloid news yeah. cycle that just constantly says. If you eat so much red meat, you're twice as likely to ca- have colon cancer and things like that. And, yeah. you know, they don't give you the actual numbers and, you know, we can do what we want with stats ultimately, can't we? So The, th- the yeah. thing with a lot of those headlines is they don't look at the difference between absolute risk and relative risk. Oh, yeah, oh, and oh, that. 
a one in a hundred chance doubling is still only a two in a hundred chance. Yeah. The fact it's doubled doesn't suddenly make it a really Quite frequent occurrence. It's relative. I think the other thing yeah. that makes me laugh about the internet, so if anyone else has heard of good ones, my favourite one that goes around the alkaline diet. I don't mm. know if you've seen that amongst cancer forums. Yeah. So the, the, the theory is that cancer is acid. I might be wrong, oh, but yes. the theory is that cancer yes. is acid. Yeah. And if you have an alkaline diet, it can basically neutralise the cancer and cure your cancer. Yeah, Which I see peddled a lot. That. Yeah. And I've also had the take lots and lots of turmeric. Okay, turmeric, yeah. It, I'm sure it does help with inflammation and things like mm. that. But the amount of times people have said to me, have you, are you taking turmeric? Um, I've had people say, cut out meat altogether. Um, fast for 40 days was something someone said to me. Oh that's um, quite a dangerous idea. Yeah, that's not going to help. Yeah. <laughs> and the alkaline diet, yeah. Yeah, that one comes up all the time. I see yeah. it on Facebook, I see it on forums. Mm-hmm. You and Normally, you know, it's a dodgy diet when someone says, I've got information about this great diet. DM me or PM me because yeah. you know that if they play it publicly, everyone's going to jump on them and say you're talking rubbish. Yeah. 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 Well, and the big thing about some of these things is if you want to do them because you're interested in it, as long as it's not negative for your health, that's yeah. a choice of yours to do. But the important thing is not to substitute some of these for your recommended treatment options. Yes. That is when it gets really, really dangerous for yeah. people. But and yeah. people freely give advice, don't they? You know, advice inverted <laughs> commas. And I had advice before they even knew what type of cancer I had, what treatment I'd had. I'd just say, so I'm having treatment for cancer, and they go, oh, have you tried this, have you tried that? And I was thinking, well, it's really dangerous, actually, isn't it, yeah. to, to give that advice if you don't actually know what cancer they've got. Or And snake oil's been around forever, hasn't it, yeah. as well? So people are always looking for opportunities. It just seems really poor to exploit that section of society that yeah. you know probably need better advice more than anybody else at that point. I think that's what upset me the most upsets me the most when I see these things is you know there's someone just trying to exploit these people they're not yeah. even most some people are trying to just help and I get that but a lot of the people are trying to sell stuff and it's really sad that there's, there, there are people in the world trying to exploit the most vulnerable yeah for financial gain and it only takes one anecdote I think to travel a really long way that one person stopped all their treatment and ate a little bit more turmeric and you know their cancer went away but their cancer would have probably gone away without the turmeric and it's just one of those happenstance occasions that isn't medically researched properly and that person then tells someone else and it just you know it's i i don't know we don't stop those things you can only help it by properly educating and, and basing it on medical research on the forums we always took saying you know talk to your specialist talk to your doctor if you're going to change your diet or you're looking to do something or you think you found a miracle cure go and talk to your doctor about it yeah. please that's the thing seek seek medical advice before yeah. making any change to your treatment or diet specifically to try and do something yeah it's just yeah. common sense it is Yes. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, just don't. The internet's <laughs> a very dirty place. An interesting yeah. comment from our comms manager. <laughs> it's true. Use verified sources of information. Like. Tick. <laughs> <laughs> we have actually got a toolkit on that, so if anybody wants any information, um, yeah, go on to our website. We've got a little toolkit that tells you how to work out whether what you're reading is verified and good. So Can I throw another one into that? Yeah. Cannabis oil. Yeah. Oh, all the time. Oh, yeah, That's become a... more complicated one recently. It has, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting one. It is. I try and run away from that one, to be <laughs> honest. When people ask on the forums, I'm just like, oh, hang on a second. I'm not sure what we can tell people these days about that, seeing as 
Holland and Barrett sell it, you know, the cannabis oil. Mm. I think it's the problem is where people claim it's curative yeah. rather than it might alleviate symptoms. Yeah. yeah. I understand the whole trying it if you want to alleviate symptoms. And you say yeah. you can get and it. Pain management. Yeah, pain management. Yeah. And you can get it in Holland and Barrett. In certain states in the US, you can get it in any old dispensary, basically. Like mm. Nevada just legalised it. It's when you see the thing saying that cannabis oil is the hidden cure for cancer and then you get those problems of are people going to substitute their treatment with something that hasn't actually been proven to cure cancer yeah. but it might have properties that help those side effects yeah. yeah and the other thing particularly with cannabis compared to some of them is cannabis in some forms is an illegal substance and yeah. there's exceptions for medical licensing in certain cases but as as a general rule it is a criminal activity I knew um, you'd be super sensible about that one. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Zach. I'm kind of relieved you did that. <laughs> and once again, you do get people who like it on the internet quite a lot. You know, trying to people put put people in touch with people who supply them with the stuff. Mm. You know, if you you can get a license for medical uh, prescription of cannabis now, talk to your doctor about whether that would be applicable to you. I think that'd be the starting point before yeah, buying any because you don't know what's in it if you bought it off a, a random source off the yeah. internet. No, yeah. That's the worrying part. What have they mixed it with? Yeah. It's it's yeah. It could be anything. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. I think we've well and truly flattened yeah. that one. Um we should have a sound effect for when we squeeze the mix. Do you want to be in a charge button. of that <laughs> Um no <laughs> button I compress. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Let's see what comes out next. Exciting. It's really exciting every time I go in. Right. Oh, okay. Chronic leukemia are good cancers. Good cancers. I was told that if I was going to get one, yeah. uh, this is a good one to get. And to a certain extent, you know, you know, you find it's treatable. And I go into the appointment on diagnosis 11 years ago thinking that I'm going to have a transplant and I'm getting all my affairs in order. And I walk out with a box of tablets you know, and I was a bit like, okay, right, this is this is this is tolerable, and I suppose, yeah, but it's it's not it's a hard one, isn't it? Because people yeah. are really still sick with things, and 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 on the level of how good and how bad things are, it's all still bad. It's just the good end of bad. Mm. We've had this conversation with patients before, and it's the, the the point at which you say something like that. I think also makes a difference at the point of diagnosis. Cancer is cancer, yeah. regardless of what. Especially you if you say. don't know, and at the point of diagnosis, if you don't know anything about it, exactly, you've just been told you've got leukemia, you've just been told you've got cancer. Saying it's a good cancer doesn't negate a shock from a diagnosis yeah. and the understandable emotional impact of that. Do you think it stops people from worrying though? Or do, <sighs> do you think the consultant tempers that situation and looks at the person and thinks they look... the, the challenge that? We've had, in terms of what we hear from individual patients, and I've asked lots of people about this, mm. and let's see what you think afterwards, at diagnosis, what do you remember from the diagnosis appointment? The, number, the phrase you hear constantly is, once I heard the word cancer, I didn't take anything else in, mm. or I don't remember what was discussed mm. in the appointment, I was given a brochure or something to go away with. In some cases, that's a fairly good diagnosis experience, that you were given the information it was explained to you, but it's you've, you've just been told you've got cancer. You weren't expecting it. In many cases, yes, you could have been having symptoms, but you weren't associating those with cancer or anything severe. But with many of ours, 
we would we would probably have been diagnosed by a doctor who wouldn't have known anything anyway. So you've still got a, a period of time bef- before you get mm. to a consultant, and I hear that a lot. So the doctor told me the doctor told me, and when I asked, uh, you know, am I going to die? The doctor says I don't know. Um, so you're going to have to go to a consultant. So she was ill-equipped, and I don't blame her at all, but she was ill-equipped to be able to give me any information whatsoever. And I did yeah. go through the, the numb thing and the I didn't really hear anything, etc. So when I got to the consultant, maybe I was in a little bit more of a receptive mood for him to turn around and say, well, you know, if you're going to get one, it's a good one. Because I'd already, I, I probably already talked myself into the grave at that point. Yeah. Um, I do think there are benefits from explaining the positive outlook of some of the chronic leukemias, I think it's a really challenging thing in the diagnosis setting. I think later on in the pathway, and particularly for people who are worrying, Mm. it can be useful. I know you've, your story that I've heard numerous times about Serena. Too many times really, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But about being told you're going to be okay. For some people, that's really helpful. Yeah. For others, it can trivialise. There was yes. a lot of debate about that on Twitter. Yes, there actually, was. Wasn't we, there? Yeah. I was slightly attacked for that as well, yeah. which was which was which was okay, and I had a, a really constructive. Yeah, it was a debate yeah. of whether it's okay to, to say someone you're going to be okay. Yeah. That was the most yeah. powerful moment of my entire diagnosis, and it still touches me now that I was told by a, a superstar cricketer that I was going to be okay. That really, it wasn't. He's not a consultant. He's seen enough people, but it was powerful. Um, and I don't think we should be afraid of those types of conversations, but I also accept that sometimes people can take it that's trivialising their mm. their diagnosis, and we've got to be really careful of that because people can be really sensitive, and that's not that's not on either. I guess the other one that we've talked quite a lot about CML, we haven't really talked about the CML perspective, patients being diagnosed and in two-thirds of cases being placed on watch and wait. Now, given the mantra is the importance of early diagnosis, and we do that ourselves because early diagnosis for cancer generally, but also particularly for the acute leukemia, is really, really important. As a CLL patient being diagnosed and then being told you're not going to start treatment straight away, the term we hear is counterintuitive diagnosis. That's not surprising. it, It is an exception to the normal rule. Early diagnosis can still be important to make sure you manage properly. But being diagnosed and then not treating, mm. the emotional impact that goes alongside that, and also mm. the symptom burden people and I think are living those, with. Those are the people I'm thinking of when we've talked about where did you first hear the idea that chronic leukemias are, or chronic cancers are better, to, or the good cancers. And it's normally the CLL ones who are put on watch and wait that say that was most difficult for me to understand because you just want to get rid of the cancer. People have that idea that you can just treat it so i think yeah you're right about that and in the watch and wait setting in particular we did some research for a campaign on this last year about access to support for people who have been diagnosed with cancer so still have the same emotional impact from the diagnosis but haven't started treatment yet the access to support such as a nurse specialist is incredibly low it was only about 29 percent in our most recent patient survey compared to about an average of 60 percent for leukemia patients Given that access to clinical nurse specialists is the most important thing in terms of patient experience, it's no wonder that there's a huge emotional impact in that setting. Yeah. Living with it takes time. I think that that that's to say to somebody on day one, it's a, it's it's a, the good end of the bad spectrum. Is yeah, yeah. In in that respect, it's hard because you can only get to that point of um, objectivity after a period of time when you become comfortable 
you know, within mm. your own bones that you're like, okay, so this is me now. Um, and it's only in the last few years that I've been able to reflect on it. Mm. How about you? I would say getting any cancer is not a good thing. So for me, if somebody said that to me, I'd be really annoyed with it. Would you punch them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd think about it. No, I think it's it's a strange statement to say because it can belittle your experience and it can also make you feel mm. a bit patronised, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, I've never had it said to me, so I can't, yeah. And you're never, ever going to have it said to you now no. after you threaten to punch someone. If <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they'll at least stand a couple of steps away when they yeah, say Yeah, exactly. Shout it and run off. It is, yeah. da- it is dangerous. Yeah. I think that's the point of, to some people, it can be supportive. To some people, it can be almost offensive. Yeah. And the whole point of information is tailored information that's appropriate for the person. But it's quite a hard one to know how someone's going to react to it. Yeah. It so is. probably something worth avoiding. Yeah. And the one thing that I've learned over the years, especially doing the work with you guys, is that one size doesn't fit all at all with any aspect of diagnosis, treatment, aftercare whatever, every single person is a real individual. Whereas as I see some other cancers, there is a process that mm. you follow. Mm. We're proper individual, we're really needy sometimes, yeah. you know, because we have to have that tailored approach. Yeah. But instead, if you look at, say, the CML Facebook forum, yeah. it's much more helpful for people to hear how other people are doing yeah. rather than, don't worry, it's a good cancer. Genuinely understanding the experience of what it's going to be like is really helpful for people, yeah. mm-hmm. but not just the bland statement that people, in many cases, don't know what they're talking about when they say it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a good shout. Tips and tricks. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, and actually thinking about it, I have been told I a good cancer because... When I was first diagnosed, Did you punch them? <laughs> I, I, I was too weak to do it at the yeah. time. But yeah, when I was first diagnosed, they said I had AML, and oh, they yeah. said that's the worst of the leukemias. You know, it's it's pretty bad. Um, that's even worse, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, you've got and the then, worst one. Yeah, and then what? Six, seven days later, they said, "Oh no, actually, you've got APML." So this is a good thing because it's better than having AML um, because the survival rates are higher. Um, and then, yeah, it was all good. And then when I relapsed, they went, oh, no, now it's a bad thing again because you've relapsed and it's come back again. <laughs> so, yeah, I've had the kind of swings, it's like swings and roundabouts. It's, so it kind of made me feel more reassured. But in a... In a <laughs> Just completely flip-flops there. Yeah. So I was like, okay, it's bad. Oh, no, it's okay. Now it's bad again. So, yeah, it's, um yeah, not a great thing to say. I would say stay clear of it. Yeah. Should we take that one as squashed then? Yeah. yeah. Dive into the I big like hat. That. Are you going to try a noise this time, Chris? <laughs> no. <laughs> I feel like I'm under pressure you to make a noise, pressure, but yeah. whatever the noise is, it'll be inappropriate now, <laughs> so I'm not going to do it. Uh, so, chemotherapy or treatments for cancer are worse than having cancer. Mm. This Ooh. might be an interesting one for you two because you had different types yeah. of treatments or yeah. are having. You start. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, I had a bad, I mean, mine's all been tablet-based. I've, I've not had traditional chemotherapy. So that's, that, I'll let you continue. In a minute. Yeah. That's an interesting debate for CML, though, yeah. as to what chemotherapy yeah, well, we did yeah, that on the, We did that on the wrestling episode. Oh, we've been there. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, oral based chemotherapy. <laughs> yes. If we really want to get that therapy. Actually, if I'm talking to just someone in the street about my diagnosis, I will describe it as a normal oral chemotherapy. 
but I don't class it as a traditional chemotherapy because I don't see it as intensive as and and as invasive. Yeah, it as does lead to kind of a misleading perception yeah. of what it is because it's but... targeted. I, yeah, I think I think there are benefits there. I didn't have a very good time on it um, for the first three years, and that's why they switched me to another one. And it was life changing. Um, because, uh, upset stomachs, uh, just sleep things, memory issues, all that. But I knew that it was making me better. Um, so there is no way in hell that my treatment at any point has ever been, even when they did a bone marrow aspiration and went through nerves and my leg turned black and, um, I had to lay up for two months because I couldn't walk on it, etc., etc. There wasn't any point in any of that. And that was my worst moment. But I thought to myself, this is worse than having cancer. That's crazy that happened. I've never known that. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Before. I've had 16 of them. Yeah, I've had 12. Yeah. That's never happened. It was... I'll show the photos. Yeah, later. They're, they're special treats. But... <laughs> Lovely. This is like a Jaws moment. We're going to share yeah, scars it, yeah. and mine versus yours. Is, <laughs> that, is that a teaser for a future bloodstream? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. gosh, yeah, it could be. Uh, yeah. The disasters. In fact, that would be a good one. The disasters. <laughs> the things yeah. that go wrong. I guess what I was getting at with this question was more to do with what you'd call the traditional chemotherapy. So people have this idea that chemotherapy makes you so ill and, and that's what turns some people to alternative therapies. Mm. So I don't know whether you want to chip in on, on that, Kate. Yeah, so my experience was different to yours in that, yeah, I had chemotherapy intravenous straight away. Mm-hmm. And it was awful, yeah. Um, but then I felt horrendous anyway going into it. Um, so, and I know the outcome, if I hadn't have had the chemo, would have been certain death. So I had no choice. I had to have the chemo. But it does make you feel awful if it's high dose you're having it every day you're in hospital anyway in an isolation room and you've got millions of infections anyway like I did so yeah and you're riddled with cancer so it's yeah it's is it worse than the cancer no because the cancer's gonna it would have killed me so no I had to have the chemo so it's not worse in my eyes but as treatments go, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, it is brutal. Um, mm. And sometimes the side effects are the worst thing about it. The actual treatment itself isn't too bad. You know, you get sick, but you can take anti-sickness. You have an upset stomach, but you're not eating anyway because you're too ill. So there's, yeah, it's the side effects that go with it. The hair loss, um, skin problems, all sorts of things. Yeah, it's not mm. great. I suppose it's it's sort of born off this, I clearly spend too much time on the internet, there is obviously a lot of forums out there, (laughs) and there is this conspiracy that chemotherapy actually is there to kill, well that is the the conspiracy, is that chemotherapy Mm. is there to kill people off rather than actually treat the cancer itself. Yeah, yeah, and I've been told by, again, people giving me great advice, <laughs> don't have chemo, don't have it. And I was like, well, I've already had four rounds of it, so a bit late. Um, and it's dangerous, because as you say, what was yeah. the, what was the what alternative? Was the, there was Death. no alternative. Unfortunately, that, is, yeah. that was the that was alternative. It. Yeah. But someone with um, a weaker mindset than you, because you've obviously battled and you've got through that brilliantly, but someone who didn't have that strength, 
might have turned around and gone, do you know what, I'm not going to yep. have any yeah. more. Because, That's the dangerous because, part. Because, because this is worse than the cancer. Yes. And yeah, I, I think there's an element, uh, I think we could almost link this to depression and yeah. uh, mental health and well-being and stuff like that. But if you go into that with that positive mindset, and I know we'll touch up on that later, I'm sure, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if you're struggling or you're in, in two minds, if someone says that, it's probably an easy one just to go, I've had enough of it. Mm. And actually, there's a an argument in my mind that if they'd have said to me, you're not going to survive this cancer, but this chemotherapy might give you a few more days. Having been through it, mm, would I go through that again if that was the outcome? You know, for me, they were saying, have the chemo, it could save your life. So there was no question about yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. But if they were saying the the opposite, I don't know. I would have to think about it. Yeah, because it is. But it comes down to being well informed, like having your eyes open when you go into it. Like, if they know that unfortunately your prognosis isn't that great, giving people that choice to a point of like you know, so it's an informed choice rather than some bloke on the internet sends you a direct message and then you just yeah, oh yeah, you go off 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 that. Yeah, only take advice from your medical team. Yeah, definitely. Because it, um, it's a legitimate choice yeah, as well. Yes, at the and end of the day, there's so many different chemotherapies. The amount of people who've said to me, "So you're having chemo, thinking it's just one drug? Yeah. There's one chemotherapy drug in the world, and that's it. And everyone well, with that cancer has it." What Chris was saying about yeah. his oral yeah, and whether we can even call yeah. it chemotherapy. But, but, yeah. e- but even if we look at the kind of traditional chemotherapies, like the high intensity chemotherapies for an acute leukemia, for example. Yeah. yeah, there's a variety of different drugs that are being used, but also in the same setting, depend your when when you were diagnosed, young twenties, you've already told us how healthy you yeah. were, compared to someone who might have other conditions, might for example have a general. Yeah, I, I don't want to yeah. go down the age route because it isn't and shouldn't be based on age, yeah. but it does tend to obviously be older people who are less fit. Um, and in some of those cases, there is a distinction between a more intensive and a less intensive chemotherapy. Yeah. And there is a risk-benefit to have. But again, these discussions should be the kind of things you're talking about with your doctor, yes. not somebody on the internet yeah. telling you, totally. oh, don't bother with yeah. chemotherapy. Yeah. You know, Quality of life as well. But, but it's easy for us to say, but, but someone who's struggling with their mental health yeah. and well-being, um, they're being preyed on by, by, <laughs> by people who are trying to exert their opinion. And in some cases, they might not be tough enough to turn around to their their GP or their consultants and say, you know, we're we're quite rational and we've been through the processes and we're doing that. Mm. But I really, really struggle with people that are struggling mm. to 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 cope with that overload of information. Yeah. That I think that's where support is needed. Yeah. And um, the drugs to help with chemotherapy now, um, the side effects are so good. Like anti-sickness, amazing. You can. I had like three different types when I was having mine, and they're all great. So there's things that they can do to help make it easier. Yeah, and there's things like cold caps as well. So they're starting to become more effective. People don't want to, you know, are really upset about losing their hair. I wouldn't say anyone wants to lose their hair, but if you're really, really upset about it, then there's cold caps. There's mm. things that there's pioneering treatments that are helping you deal with the side effects of chemotherapy. Yeah. That's the next level for charities like this, I think, to start pushing that agenda. And, and you know, we've already seen it with some of the wrestling stuff and the, the myth busting that happened out there in just educating people and letting them know instead mm. of just blindly accepting idiots mm. yeah. and what they have to mm. say. Probably so the idiots speak the loudest. They really do, yeah. Weirdly. But, but that's the... why the charities mm. need to speak even louder and not be afraid of shouting 
and and having arguments with idiots. I've been calling people out. Is actually I know. You I, know I, 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 no, I, I actually I know it's the image of charity is you have to be warm and fluffy, nice, you know, and you have to, of course you do. However, if there is someone online that you can see clearly yeah. causing problems, spouting misinformation, yeah. that is the point where a charity should actually do a fact check. Agreed. A bit like the Channel Four fact checking they do sometimes. Someone's They're great. Yeah. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it. You can't leave it to someone else because it won't happen. No. Yeah. And the fact that you're regulated. Yeah. Makes makes the situation safe. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah, we have almost like a moral obligation to, where we can see it. Yes, to get involved in yeah, those sort of conversations. Yeah. Say, actually, have you thought about this? And the other thing is, a lot of these conversations go in go on online in kind of closed Facebook groups that we're not always part of. To a certain extent, if someone has a question, come and ask us. We're more yeah. than happy to provide the information. Yeah. We've got a nurse that can answer some of these questions. Um, and we're more than happy to provide that so that we can fact check some of it. And patient advocates are useful, um, and we do our bit out mm. there and things like that, but I, I always tag you guys in. I always tag the charity in because I always think, I know that they'll temper this. If I'm wrong or I, I've not gone quite down the right route, I know that this will be read within the charity. And I think that's really important as well, to, to bring other people into those things that you trust yourself. Because there are idiot patient advocates out there as well. And we've come across them, and some of the advice that they give is just dreadful. Mm. You know, you know, do as I do instead of. So yeah, some know, of the advice verges on the medical rather than the, the person. And they're not qualified, no. and and this is why it should always be. Uh, you know, you you should, you should always say speak to your medical professional. I you know I'm a patient. I've gone through this, but I don't know your entire case history. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, a lot of these questions come up frequently, so we've probably already got medically checked information on it. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, they're not always get it done. they're not always the easiest to find on a website because there is so much information on there. But if you come to us, we can point you to the medical information that does exist from ourselves or from someone else. Yeah, that's why we're lucky with social media is that we do have this inroad into those conversations that are happening. Yeah. Before we wouldn't have been able to have those. Mm. Yeah. What noise are you going to do this time? <laughs> <laughs> it's the I noise of me crawling one. into the corner <laughs> yes. every time you ask that. <laughs> I'm really hoping by the end we do actually get to you to do a noise. Good point to see if we've got any comments. Tash said that someone told her to not give her seven-year-old sugar, otherwise yeah. it will feed his leukaemia cells. That's, yeah, that's common as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's another one like the alkaline diet. Yeah. Well, the sugar one is a general one, isn't yeah. it? About sugar feeds bad things in your mm. system, so you should cut it out of your diet it's completely. It's bad to get balanced diet. Like, yeah. I could do with eating healthier but I wouldn't tell people to you know cut something out completely because you don't know what you're going to do to yourself with those type of people I just tend to throw sugar cubes at them <laughs> yeah. tends to scare them off yeah. so, so so far we've had people being punched throwing sugar cubes I knew at people. this was going to be controversial <laughs> like yeah that's the thing about being guilted as well like if I sit and eat a donut I'll have oh, people go, people like that. but you've had cancer, you shouldn't be eating donuts. I think you deserve a donut. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what I say. Yeah, you have cancer, and I see how many donuts you'll eat. Yeah. It's a manisha yeah. one. I'd yeah. love for breakfast yesterday, I had a crispy bone. Oh, I was on my way really early, yeah. Yeah, I did. But yeah. it, it, was a, it was a glazed one with a hole in the middle, and I thought, because I didn't get the big one, because then yeah. I thought I'd save the calories by not yeah. eating the whole bit in the middle. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, the, the, that's the advice we're going to give here. Make sure you go for the donut. Everything in moderation. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Logic. <laughs> well, that is a common one. If they're not alone on that one. So, next one. A cancer diagnosis... Well, is kind of a sad one. Cancer diagnosis means you're going to die or your life shortened or whatever. I think the main thing I want to say about this is cancer is not one thing. 
and it's, a, it's another thing on my list that I probably shouldn't mention now, but people see cancer as one thing, but we've got two examples here of how cancer can be two different diseases, essentially. So, yeah, it does, the answer is no to that, in my opinion, but I don't know if you guys want to expand on that a little. Hmm. I mean, for me, my cancer diagnosis was a, a life sentence, if you like. So, um, yeah, it would have killed me. So my type of leukemia was acute and it was at a really late stage when I found out that I had it and I had numerous other sort of comorbidities going on if you like at the same time mm-hmm. so yeah it for me it was it did mean that without treatment however they did say with treatment you know you you could potentially survive this um touch wood I have <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah I but there is this myth myth that cancer means you're going to die doesn't yeah. it isn't there and i think that's what stops people from going to the doctor yeah in case mm. they find out yeah that they've got that's cancer the yeah. yeah they don't um, get the help that actually could mean they won't no. mm. well and the, the thing is no matter what type of leukemia you have you'd be better off knowing because you have got the option of early and appropriate treatment i mean i'm a massive hypocrite whenever i'm ill i <laughs> I, I go, oh, I'm too busy to go and That's get this checked out. Men wow. don't go to the doctors. I bullied a man yesterday to go and have his prostate test done. And he <laughs> I wondered where that was going. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, yeah, he was he, he was like, no, no, and it's disgusting and all that. And I was like, please, just don't. do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we had a good long. And at the end of it, he went, I'm going to, and I said, promise that you're going to. Mm. I really, really bullied him into it because blokes are idiots mm. when that type of thing goes on. I was diagnosed by accident, and I would never have gone to the doctor for that reason. Um, it was, which was a pain in my back, and um, and I did for some reason, and that's it. That's the only reason I'm here. And I think the big thing for us, we do a lot. Obviously, we have the campaign, we have the Spot Leukemia campaign, trying to raise awareness. So we would encourage people to go and, and get early diagnosis, and there's very good reasons for that. But the big thing is, for leukaemia, we're quite lucky to a certain extent that if you do suspect leukaemia and the GP suspects it is leukaemia, it is a blood test. It's not something that might be... Obviously, some people don't like needles, so that might be a challenge for them. Um, but it's not a particularly invasive way of diagnosing. It is a blood test at least in the initial stages. Yeah. And if you're feeling unwell, if you think there might be something wrong, you can get it checked out. And more than anything, rule it out. Yeah. Make sure you don't have to worry about that because you know that's not that treatment. And in the majority yeah. of instances, it's not yeah. cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, And the doctor will tell you a day in, day out that he gets people going in saying, he or she gets people going in saying, I think oh, I might have cancer. And, all that. and it's an immediate rule out. And and I think, you know, nine times out of ten, it's a false alarm. But on that one occasion, better to get the trip. Well, we're both living proof that we're here doing this. Mm. You know, we're still alive from it. The thing is, if you're, if you're experiencing symptoms that could be a leukaemia, I don't know, night sweats, mm. and it's not leukaemia, you should still get those treated anyway. Yeah, like, you shouldn't yeah, have to live like that. Yeah, like, yeah. all you know, all these re- really strange symptoms. It might be something else that could be really simple. Yeah. Mm. Just, get it do- just get it done. No one should have to live no. thinking about stuff all the time. So why do they? Why do people not go? I think it's a British thing as well as a man thing. There's been quite a bit of research into Mm. the, and they, they, you sort of joke about it, but the British stiff upper lip. There has been, I mean, UK cancer survival generally, not just leukaemia, is worse than comparable European countries. And most of that is due to late diagnosis. Yeah. 
And it's not it's not just down to delays once you've seen a healthcare professional. It's yeah. down to delays before you see a healthcare professional. Yeah. So whether it's leukemia, whether it's something else. Yeah. And again, I've said I'm a massive hypocrite whenever I get ill, but you should go and see um, a GP or someone else if you think there's something wrong with you. Get it checked out. If, yeah. I mean, if you don't, if, if you're not experiencing any symptoms, there's nothing you can do about it. But get it checked out if you think there's something wrong. Whatever it is, you yeah. should be getting it sorted. And the other one is if you get turned away and it's still carrying on, just go back yeah. and keep going back. Yeah. Go see someone else. Yeah, so yeah, yeah go be persistent. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you you know your own body, one yeah. of the biggest things about the theory of general practice is you can monitor the change. If it's not usual for you, get it investigated yes. until you find the solution. That's a good show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was an easy <laughs> one. That felt easy. Mm. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a hard one. Oh, okay. no, I like it. Good work, guys. Alright. Uh, we kind of already touched on this, but I don't know if anyone wants to add on it. Uh, leukemia is just one disease, or all cancers are the same. Things on that kind of wavelength. It's just not true. Do you want me to, do, to yeah, say something? Yeah, you're a good one on this one. So I think the, let's look at it from the layers point of view. So the top layer is cancer. Yeah. Which, as a general term, doesn't really mean anything because there are so many different types of cancer. The next thing to look at is blood cancers, which is obviously an umbrella term. But even within that, there are some similar challenges, but in many cases break down more simply. Then, if we look at the blood cancer level, I'll deal with leukemia last because obviously that's the one we're gonna we're gonna focus on. But there are other types of blood cancer. So there's lymphoma, which breaks out, down into many different subtypes. There's myeloma. There's myelodysplastic syndromes. There's myeloproliferative neoplasms, um, which again is breaking down into work, various different types. It sounds like I know something here, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, and then it breaks down into we've got leukemia as well. So leukemia breaks down into different types. We've got the acute leukemias, of which there are several. We've got the chronic leukemias, of which there are several. In many cases, we talk about the main four leukemia types. We talk about CLL, CML, AML, and ALL. APL, do we talk about that as an AML? Do we talk about that separately? Yeah. There are so many different types of leukemia. We haven't talked about hairy cell. We haven't talked about CMML. Mm. You, I mean, the information... AMKL, that... J- JMML. <laughs> that's, like that's, JML. A clean, no, that's, that's a cleaning <laughs> product, definitely. JML. Wow. What? <laughs> well, the BPDN? I don't even know how you say that one. I'm not going to go for that one. I'm not going to try and get <laughs> oh, that wrong. On. Natural they killer cell Yeah, they've changed the name, haven't they? <laughs> Anyway, I, think I know exactly what you mean. I'm not going to pronounce it incorrectly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Zach, you've answered that question pretty well. <laughs> yeah. But there are yeah. lots of different types. I mean, you take blood cancer, there's over 100 different types of blood cancer, never mind the different types of cancer, yeah. and leukemia. There are so depends what you subgroup it in. Even, say, take CML, for example, there's a small number that don't have the Philadelphia chromosome, that that is completely different to a Philadelphia positive CML. There's AML breaks. APML is one subtype of AML. You can talk about mutations within AML. You could talk about the FLIP3 mutation yeah. within AML. You could talk about ALL. You could talk about um, B cell precursor, T cell precursor. You could talk about uh, different targets of cancer. Stop, stop I'm just yeah, going right. to keep going. <laughs> there are different types of leukemia. At the end. Press the buzzer. <laughs> I suppose that, that is terrifying. Um, but the key with that is that there are lots of different types of treatments as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that we are in it in the UK yes, as well. Yeah. So I feel like we've busted that myth. 
Yeah. I think the other problem is is media. So when they talk about any sort of story with a patient, they always just use this headline term of cancer. They yeah. never like yeah. lump it all in yeah. together. And yeah, that, and that's the perception is that cancer is just one thing. I think that's where it, where it comes from. I do something really morbid when when like someone famous dies or I see someone that's died and it says cancer. I'm looking for what type. Mm, me yeah. too. It's my yeah, first question too. whenever anyone tells me. Yeah. Anymore. But yeah. Before kind of working in the area, it would have been oh, okay. Mm. Whereas now it's. Because the headline what, is always what just type, cancer. What type of cancer? Yeah. Mm. No, yeah. What I almost said there's no such thing as cancer. Yeah. What type of cancer? Yeah. Does that make you does that make you anxious sometimes when it's like a blood cancer? And it does. Think, yeah. When yeah. I see that it's leukemia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I'm glad I'm not the only weird one. No, it's, I think it's standard now. I think working here sort of breeds it into you. But the headline <laughs> is always cancer. It never actually states in the headline what the story is. Yeah. Here's an interesting. It's a question, really. I suppose for Kate and Chris. Do you think you come across leukaemia more in your daily life, not in anything to do with the charity or anything like that? Do you think you hear more about it now that you've I been diagnosed? People are way more likely to talk to me about it because I've been public with it for a long time. So yeah, I'll get I get people I work with saying that they've got a cousin who's going through this or someone that I used to work with will call me out of the blue and say, my brother's been diagnosed. And, what, well, you, and you guys know that because you've then mm. sent literature to people that I know. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah same. Um, mainly through, like, Instagram, actually. Well, that's because you're famous because you're all over the papers <laughs> last year. <laughs> but, yeah, if I post something and, like, tag, I don't know, blood cancer or leukaemia or something, or even just APML, in fact, more so with APML or APL, um, Nearly every post I put, I'll get one new follower, and usually they'll message me too to say, I've got it, I've got APL, or I've had, you know, mm-hmm. blood cancer. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and the reason I ask is I hear quite frequently about cancer being on the rise, and people saying they're seeing it around a lot more than they were before, or, or the, one of the other myths, which I don't think we're going to talk about, is cancer's a new thing, it's only affecting because of the modern lifestyle. And it's much more of a, once you're aware of it, once you're interested in the area, once you're talking about it already, it comes up more frequently. It's not to do with cancer being more common. I think, yeah. I think it's awareness. I, and, I and think People so, not yeah. going, and, uh, mm, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. C word, we don't like to say the word because yeah, it makes us feel, exactly. oh. yeah. For the benefit of the tape, Chris said yeah. cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, that yeah. is the noise they make though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Remember, yeah. We had yeah. our train journey to Liverpool We've... with that woman, remember that? We had, that, we had this great, great train journey because Chris was raised in Temple thousand pounds for the charity and we met That's that little old lady on the trail didn't train didn't we and we overheard a conversation it's bigger lead on to another one of our myths here about pharmaceutical companies didn't we and how it was <laughs> terrible they charged so much for their drugs Dig so we had out. to get involved didn't we we thought well, here we, we couldn't go help ourselves. we're on a crusade here so we thought yeah. right and we had, no, it was a really good conversation but when chris the wrong when, when chris announced that she had cancer she actually did the <laughs> thing like at him yeah. uh, directly to yeah. him like you've got cancer because yeah, when we got yeah, yeah. We, when we when she got off, we both went. Oh, did you? She did the thing. She did the thing. Yeah. We like to his face. It was really strange, but you could almost feel it coming that she couldn't deal with the fact that you had cancer, Is so she had to say it. Another British thing. Do you think it's, it's really strange? Like... First time I'd seen it in person. Do you, do you think, think? And this is a really random one. Do you think that's partly to do with the Miranda Hart program? Do you think yeah. that some of that has come from that? No, I think she I just highlighted the that, fact that people either. do do that. Me and Chris Miranda, the, she used to say the wrong thing. The, the, so the, her comedy show, her her mum doesn't say things. She goes, 
Like she says the rest of the sentence and then says the word like sacks or something. She used to say the wrong word, so she'd be like, You've just been diagnosed with cancer you know? <laughs> instead of doing it like, you know, the other way around. I just think it's a British trait. But it's um, definitely a British trait. It was, again. Yeah. It was and, just, and generational. Yeah, it yeah. was incredible yeah. like her reaction because when she was confronted by a cancer patient was com- like wow mm. she didn't know what to say no. we were right. really nice we, we had a really fun conversation yeah. with her yeah. you're but, right yeah. about the generation thing if I t- even talk to my grandparents about the fact I work for a cancer charity they're like oh my god it must be so difficult and they go all flustered mm. and yeah. weird and yeah. like, well, how do you yeah. talk to people is- with cancer yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I wouldn't be able to do that <laughs> you wouldn't be able to talk to another I human know. being yeah. <laughs> but then I've had close friends I mean we're going way off thing here but I've had close <sighs> friends who I've said you know got cancer and they're like Oh, they don't know what to say. They're like, okay, you can see them like backing out of the room. Yeah, I've had that. But yeah. yeah, some people they just don't know. They're like, you haven't changed. You just you want you just. They can't. There's an element that they just can't cope with no, that level of conversation, and they, it makes people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. But we are reaching an age where, well, look at us. We're doing a podcast on a live stream where we're talking about it. Yeah. Happily, we do the stage thing. You know, we've all been on a stage talking about it as well. You know, it's it is what <laughs> it is thing. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. and it's a good thing because people that are being diagnosed tomorrow are, are, are being diagnosed in a society where it's not something that they should be ashamed of or it isn't like that and there is good information freely available that's yeah. the thing that we should celebrate definitely so we've decided we've got to change British culture I think yeah we're doing it now yeah yeah it's not just a British problem though particularly no, no. if you it's talk not. to some of the patient advocates from Eastern European countries or other countries outside Europe I mean Western Europe it's African less of a stigma now. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but Interesting. the fact, illness in general, but mm. also specifically cancer, um, there is a stigma of, well, you take another non-cancer example, you take HIV, for example, there was a lot more of a stigma around before than there is now, and the way the HIV community changed it was yeah. by talking about yeah. it. And, and they saying, were brilliant. We control the message, we're going to put this story out. And we're going to explain why the stigma shouldn't be there. Yeah. Element of ownership with mm. HIV with that community. Definitely. And they were incredible in terms of spreading that, owning it, and completely turning things on their head. Yeah. Well, and I'm not going to try and embarrass the two of you on, on camera slash video or whatever, but Uh-oh. people coming out and telling their story is the way the message gets changed. People being very open and saying, kind of warts and all, this is what happened. Yeah. Yes. This is what it was like for me. Yeah. And you don't have to answer the comments or whatever, but it must be hard to tell your own story about things. I can stand on the stage and talk about experiences collectively. Yeah. I'm not telling the personal details of my life. Yeah, it's all very well us saying it, but we couldn't do it without you guys actually backing it. us up. It feeds my ego. I like to overshare. <laughs> I like to make other people feel uncomfortable. That's not for love. Last co-host, I like that. My wife at home would be like, mm-hmm, great. <laughs> I know that. Right. Well, the next one, I did. I promise I didn't purposely pick this one out, is the one Nicole alluded to. Um, treatments that aren't approved for use on the NHS are rejected just to save money. Ooh, do you want me to answer yes. that one, I suppose? Go on, and then let's see what you say based on. So we spend quite a lot of time working with NICE whenever they assess a new drug for use on the NHS, and their remit is to decide if something is a cost-effective use of NHS resources. Now, in reality, what that means is the effectiveness it has that have been demonstrated through the clinical trials, is that a good way to spend NHS money? Now, in some cases, it's because, although it's not trying to, it is trying to save money, I suppose, in some cases, in some cases, the treatments don't show enough of a benefit 
for the cost they offer. Um, I mean, the NHS is a system where theoretically there's a cap on how much we can spend. There's theoretically a cap on how much we can spend on drugs as a proportion of that. Um, but it's not the only factor that drives it. In some cases, the clinical efficacy isn't there. There isn't the data to prove it. In some cases, there isn't a benefit as to whether that's better than an alternative treatment. I mean, we probably fall down on the side of arguing that patients should have access to every clinically beneficial treatment because, unsurprisingly, we represent the interests of patients. But we do recognise that there is a taxpayer kind of band behind this. Um, and these drugs can be very expensive, but equally they've, spent, they've cost a lot of money to develop. And in order to have the only drugs that really get brought to market are drugs that are brought by drug companies. Yeah. And they need to be able to develop them. And they normally start off with several hundred, and well, they get it, down to yeah. one if they're lucky. Yeah, mm. the stats are 10,000 compounds in the Is lab really? to one drug to making it to market. Wow. Uh, and some of those drugs make it to market and still don't make them any money. Some of them make them. There's no conspiracy here, is there? That's the one. I think that's what people think there is, isn't it? It's not a conspiracy. I've got a redundant domain name of my blog, which is Access CML Drugs, because we can now access all of them. So we're not fighting for that anymore. And and that's through effort and, and, you know, patient power and charities getting behind it. But at the same time, a good case was made for all those drugs, so they were allowed in. And that is the point. It's showing where there are cost-effective use of resources. Um, and there is a finite pot balancing treatments against every other one. And also, particularly recently, NICE do actually approve quite a high proportion mm-hmm. of drugs for use within the NHS. And also, they're free at the point of access. If we take, say, the US example, mm. once the FDA, which is their licensing body, approves it for use in the, uh, use in the US it can be accessed freely by anyone if you can afford to pay for it, if you've got the insurance. Mm. The NHS isn't perfect as a system. It does have problems. It has budgetary restraints. It has infrastructure problems. Geographical It does have geographical instances. But fundamentally, the idea is to provide the same level of healthcare to everyone in the country, regardless of whether you can afford it, through a system that's paid for by taxpayers. I mean, yeah, we're working for a health charity, so of course our perspective is more money should be spent on health because we don't think people should die because they can't access a treatment. Yeah. But you have to show the value to the system. Yeah. yeah. See, I've had a kind of, I don't know what the word is, interest in this question because when I was first diagnosed with AML, started chemo, was on it for two days, then they said, you've got APML changed it to a different chemo and I remember at the time my consultant saying well hang on there's a treatment arsenic for APL that's really effective and he tried to get that for me because it's less um, damaging than chemo but he was told that I couldn't have it it's only a second line treatment so and I was really upset about it at the time because I'd sort of read up about it and whilst I was in hospital and seen that it was actually really good um but no, it was it's only second line. Mm. Um, and then because I relapsed, I then did have arsenic treatment. And yeah, it's slightly gentler than chemo on your body, noticeably. But there's other horrible side effects that come along with it. But on the forums that I'm in, there's a lot of Americans. And for Americans, it, arsenic is first line treatment for APL. And 
they all rave about it and say like I can't believe in England you, mm. you have chemo still like it for APL um, things like with arsenic you don't lose your fertility you don't lose your hair mm. all of these big you know <laughs> huge side effects really um, so I've kind of had that because yeah the NHS I think is wonderful and I'm not here to say anything bad about it but I just think maybe for APL arsenic needs to be pushed up to a first line treatment I think the patient experience and side effects and things are getting noticed more but we're constantly working to push them sort of up where it's relevant yeah and I think the other thing to say is it's not back to the original question it's not just about money yeah there are other reasons in some cases why drugs aren't available and there are other issues with the health system in terms of the methods for appraising drugs I spoke fairly positively about NICE a couple of minutes ago compared to now NICE does have problems in terms of how it assesses things particularly for rare conditions like APL and the appeal process isn't great for a patient a patient needs support to go through an appeal because it hasn't been made to be um, palatable as such and the other thing is where NICE hasn't approved a treatment, the way of accessing it in many cases an individual funding request, mm. which requires you to show clinical exceptionality mm. from people in the same situation as you. Now, Prove it. And, and they don't define it. Well, they sort of loosely say it is different from 95% of patients in the same situation in, in different parts of the UK. It varies. Yeah. In some, it's exceptionality means what? It's a it's a really tough one because in any individual situation, obviously you want to get access to the drugs, yeah. but there's also the balance not just in the UK but more broadly about whether drugs are safe and effective to use, yeah. and that has to be proven before they're given to people. But the, but they're still the nice guidelines are still suggesting um, uh, treatments that aren't as ineffect uh, that aren't as effective as other treatments based on price. So first-line treatment for CML, imatinib, isn't... Sort of. It, you technically can have nilotinib or tazatinib okay. in a limited number of cases, first line. Yeah, Yes, so it is um, limited. So, But it's, well, it's a good point, though, because that's not just nice. That in a certain, Maybe we should give NHS England a hard time. Yes, Because it, it is them not nice in that situation. Yeah. But, no, I, I agree. So oh, sorry, so, you so part part of our part of our issue is the structure of it and the and the way it's disseminated across the networks. But we're agreed that it, there's not a conspiracy to hold stuff back. Oh, definitely not. No. No, the, the yeah. nice Nothing's are, ever perfect, is it, with a limited pot of money? Yeah, nice for a gatekeeper to a system, mm. and what they try and do is find the areas where a drug is available. I mean, there's been quite a big shift at Nice recently towards restricted recommendations where they only approve it for a subgroup of patients yeah. rather than the whole population. But that's looking at the group where it is most clinically effective and saying we maybe can't afford to pay for it for everyone, but we can afford to pay for it for these patients. I mean, I'm taking a very different approach to how I normally do. I'm normally, yeah. <laughs> I'm normally very kind of, let's argue, again, well, I don't try and criticise nice, but I'm normally very... <laughs> well, well, when you find a conspiracy, you've got to, like, or a myth like this, you've got to balance the two things. That nothing's ever perfect, but yeah. there are problems with the system. Yeah, I think you've been quite balanced between the two of them. Yeah, I think it just shows as well the variants around the world about access uh, and yeah. things like that. Especially when we haven't got access to the we internet, and you can find out the difference. 
But, yeah. but in many cases, we're actually quite lucky in terms of what... So if you talk in the CML space, talk. I'm involved in the international CML group and talking to some of the patient advocates from particularly Africa. Now, CML is a pretty good example where imatinib, mostly and in other cases some of the other treatments, is available in countries where in many cancer therapies at all aren't available. But even then, if you have imatinib and stop responding to imatinib, what do you do when you know these treatments are available in other parts of the world? And it's not just access to treatments, access to testing. I mean, having imatinib, what is the point in having imatinib if you stop responding you don't know because you can't monitor this properly. Yeah. They, these, they subsidise the cost of, in some cases, these tests cost like $60 in parts of Africa, which is hugely subsidised. But if you haven't got $60, it doesn't matter whether it costs $60 or $600, mm-hmm. you still can't afford it. Right? Yeah. You can't stick to the prescription guidelines on how often you should be tested. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a general point. If people are looking up treatments online, just check what country they're from, as in terms of what it's written for. Because yeah. there can always be that confusion of, you think you can get X or someone tells you you entitled to X. Actually, yeah. it's based on like US because there's I know in the CLL forum there's some uh, differences of CLL treatments in different countries and yeah and access issues and also timelines as well. I mean I remember four years ago looking at the CML space where there were drugs available in Germany that weren't available in the UK, for example, that are now available here. It just took a bit more time to assess them. Yes. We've changed the system in the UK now that we actually do it quite quickly in that NICE has to give guidance 90 days mm. after it's been licensed for use throughout Europe. Um, if you're one of the patients that needs it whilst the assessment's taking place, yeah, that is obviously very tough to hear. Mm. But there are other options with clinical trials. Just because the drug's not funded on the NHS doesn't mean it's not available. I mean, we've got a great research um, kind of backbone of the country in the UK there are other ways to access these drugs. Not always, but there are non-mainstream options in some cases. And it doesn't have to be Germany. You could live two miles the other side of the Welsh border. Yeah. Um, and that that's kind of what I meant about the review system and the appeals system and things like that. In that, you know, And then that's where you get the tabloid headlines and, it, and, the, and the beast feeds itself, essentially. Um, it's not perfect. But no, it's not a it's, perfect system. NICE was set up. It will never be perfect either, will it? I, I don't see how. Let's not, let's not get into geographical <laughs> slash European and conversations. In the interest of covering, would it be all right if I say that one? We're done. Yeah. 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 I think, Maybe yeah, done. it's not perfect and we're working hard to make sure people get access to what they need. I think is the overarching message there. Having a positive outlook will help or improve your prognosis in some way once you're diagnosed. Have either of you been told that? Mm-hmm. If I had a pound for every time, <laughs> I'd be very rich by now. But and I get where it comes from. I do. I understand it. And maybe there is something in it. Um but yeah, I that word just grinds with me a little bit. Positive. I don't know how you feel about that. I've been guilty of it, so yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I made a concerted effort that when I was diagnosed, I was just going to go to work and just let it be a secondary part of my life and stay and stay massively positive and just try and get on with stuff. And I've, and I've, and I've seen people along the way that have let it get them down 
And I suppose I've tried to put myself on a pedestal a little bit and gone, well, the reason I'm not in that boat is because I have stayed positive and just soldiered on like the brave boy I am and all that nonsense. Yeah. But I, I, it's a coping mechanism for me, I think. I don't think that is nonsense. I think that's a good way. If that's how you cope with it, great. I think, the, and I don't think it's a bad thing to be positive, you know, when you're mm. facing adversity. It's brilliant. If you can do that, great. But I think where it grinds with me, or, you know, it's probably not the right term, but where it really gets to me is when you lay in a hospital bed, you know, and you're, you're covered in rashes and you've got tubes going in and out of you and you're high temperature and someone comes in and goes, just stay positive. You just yeah. want to literally yeah. punch them in the face again. <laughs> Um, so I think there's a time and a place for saying it it's like timing really yeah Um, a similar one which both of you sort of mentioned but didn't quite mention what about the fight terminology the war analogies Chris I've got got an opinion on this as a conspiracy because Chris said brave and Kate said adversity but also just it sort of links to the just stay positive and you'll be fine For me, I really have a problem with it. I don't um, use the word fight when I'm doing patient stories. On the basis of, if someone dies as a result of their leukaemia, does that mean they have not fought hard enough? Yeah. Or lost yeah. their battle. Or lost their battle. Yeah. Does that mean? Does that have an implication that they didn't try hard enough? Yeah. I mean, it, it's daft. Like, it's common terminology, it's, isn't it? It it's is. the, it's it the is. newspaper terminology. It's also easy terminology as well, but it makes someone yeah. sound like they've fought bravely and it was a battle and all that, but they've yeah. lost ultimately and... And let's face it, at times it does feel like you're fighting a battle. It really does. It feels like you're at war. Um, so I can totally see why people would use that terminology. But, yeah, it does upset me because I've lost, you know, really close people to me through cancer. And they fought mm. hard. You know, it's not like they just gave up. It wasn't their fault. Uh, exactly. So, yeah, there's that kind of connotation to it. Um, I think they're trying to say that they just didn't give up. And let it go. Yeah. But it just doesn't. It just doesn't ring right, no, does it? it? Doesn't. It doesn't. But there's, like there's even on the flip side, and this is controversial. But I I know of people who have had cancer, and they've been told they're terminal, there's nothing they can do, and they've actually decided to just go have palliative care, not have actually have like active treatment. They're just as brave in some way. They've, they've still fought it in yeah. their own way. They're, it's strong to say, actually, I don't want this treatment. I'm going to yes. have palliative care. Yeah. I'm going to be looked after to the yeah. end. I'm going to choose the way that I'm going to exit this world. Yeah. That's Absolutely. as much of, you know, they've still fought against yeah. life at that point. They've mm-hmm. taken that choice. I feel yeah. like we're it's, coming back to the thing about it, allowing people to express their emotions again. And I think British people not just British people, but the, our tendency to not want to say things that might upset other people. It's easier or, to put labels like fight and worry and all yeah. that rather than actually say, how did you actually feel? Or like, just allowing someone, you're saying how people shouldn't tell you to be positive while you're in a hospital bed, just allowing someone to be upset that they're exactly. in hospital. Yes, just yeah. Don't yeah. force people to feel a certain way and allow them to cope with it how they want to cope yeah. with it. I think. It's a bit like the sympathy-empathy thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, I find somebody saying to me, just be positive you'll get through it. If you have a positive outlook, you'll be cured, you know. That's more of a sympathy thing. Empathy is like sitting with somebody and just saying, this is rubbish, you know, Mm -hmm. and feeling what they're going through. And yeah, you can sort of say to them, you know, maybe if you try and be as positive as you can, great. You know, that's not so bad. But it's when someone uses it flippantly as a, well, you'll be all right, just stay positive and you'll Mm -hmm. get through it. That's half the battle. 
you know um it is really you just want to scream sometimes especially if you've just been told some really bad news you know you've been told you've relapsed Mm. or something really awful and do you think that comes down to their emotional intelligence and i think yeah you you were saying earlier and we've both experienced this that when you've told close friends or family (coughs) and they've run a mile because they don't know Sometimes yeah, people I don't. Some panic. people don't know what to say. Someone's yeah. like a placeholder conversation. Yeah. So, they, com- so they almost use that terminology. Yeah. They read in the papers about oh, stay positive mm. and use the memes. You're and, a warrior. Yeah, what, yeah. yeah stay but, strong. Yeah. And I understand it. Yeah, and you know, yes, yeah, staying positive is better than sort of having a completely negative stance like, and just sort of well, that's it then. You know, I've got cancer and, and that's it. I'll just give up. But like Charlotte said, you know, sometimes you want to feel like that and you're yeah. totally allowed to feel like that yeah. for a day, two days, however long it takes, you know. Yeah. Um, so you've got to just accept that people all go like this mm. with their emotions all over the place. I um, think some of it, sorry, go on. But, well, I think some of it's born. Of, so oh no, British. sorry. British politeness. Yeah. But, but some of it's born of this myth, and there is a study that's been done into it that there is this myth that negative people are more likely to get cancer. And there was a study done into this because they believe that negative thoughts breed illness. They actually did a scientific study on that and found that people who have a negative outlook on life don't actually fare any worse in terms of whether they get cancer or not than a a positive outlook. And when you are ill, it doesn't actually change your outcomes. Yeah. It just might just mean that someone needs more support, like mental health support, or yeah. something going yeah, through treatment. Totally. It's interesting because the thing I was going to say was about the mental health angle of it as well. I was mm, going to say big the emotional impact of a cancer mm. diagnosis is huge, but also people can have pre-existing mental yeah. health conditions. Yeah. And Mind in particular is some really good stuff about this, more generally, not just about cancer, of they did, um, I can't think what the name of the campaign is at the moment, but they did their campaign where they were saying the ridiculous things that people say to people with mental health problems. Or if you try just doing that, of, mm. or if you go and... If you, like, you wouldn't say to someone with a broken leg, oh, just, just try walking on it, it'll be fine. And the equivalent, they did a really good campaign on it, the equivalent yeah, that people tell yeah. with mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, particularly in this kind of space, to yeah. me, have some kind of resonance. Yeah, and there's an urge for a lot of people to try and fix you. Mm. And so they want to be able to say something that you'll go, oh, great, I feel better now. Well, they're trying to rationalise it. Yeah. I think, it, and that's across any sort of have condition. Someone will yeah. say something flippantly because they think it's what that should yes. be said at that point. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, things happen for a reason. Yeah. Or this was sent to test you. Like, yes. that's a really bloody crap things to be sent yeah. to test me. You know, don't do yeah. that. Bringing the religion thing into it is always like a, oh, you get, man. You get that a lot as well. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I respect the fact that people have got amazing religions and have got so much belief, but... I wish I had a, a belief system nah. at some point because it's, yeah. it's for some people it's a real comfort. Yeah. But I mean, when you yeah. when you impose it on people and say, you know, this was sent to test you, mm. that's mm. not what you want here. It almost sounds like you deserve yeah. it or mm. it was planned. And actually, yeah. some no, of it's born it's out of frustration. Just, yeah. yeah, you know that I think, and and other patients sometimes I think can be the worst culprits, mm. the ones that are doing okay. Mm. You know, I'm just trying to think, have I ever been like it? I might have had thoughts about it where I've seen someone in a in a state and, and not having a great time and going through treatment. And I've just thought what they need to do is just get up and just get out of the house and just do something. I've, and I have thought that. I've mm. not said that to them because that would just be horrendous. But that's born out of my frustration because I want them to be like me. That mm. I can get up and I can get on with it. Mm. Um it's coming from a good place. You want them to be yeah, in a good yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, you want them to be okay. But 
um, it does come down to, to well-being, mental health, mm-hmm. all those types of things and again. The thing is, some people are just ne- naturally negative people. Yeah, well, yeah. Not in a bad way, but some people yeah, are, are just dour and things yeah. like that. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. That's quite normal for some people. Yeah, and I've always been, what I would say, an optimist. You know, my glass is half full. I still got cancer, you know. Mm-hmm. So just for me being positive has not been a safeguard for me. You know, not getting ill. So. I think I'm a, I think I'm a pessimist, which is why I'd convinced myself that I was going to mm. die after the, the, that first consultancy appointment. And I think that's why I do it. I think I try and balance my pessimism with da 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 da. Everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. 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 we got the noise. <laughs> I did do a noise, but that can't be a myth busting noise. Da 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 da. I think the important thing to say, though, from a practical steps for people who do want to help people who have these issues, is just to be there to support people. And Mm. it's really easy to be there when someone's newly diagnosed with cancer, Mm. everyone flocking around doing what they can to support. It's being there later when they're still experiencing some of these issues. And just... Just making allowance. If someone if someone's having a bad day, anyone's having a bad day, yeah. make an allowance for them. Yeah. You know, ju- just generally. Yeah, yeah, and allowing them to feel that way. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember having, you know, a series of bad news um, to do with cancer, one thing after another. You know, I remember saying to my friend, it's just never ending, and, oh, and I was really upset about it. And one of her responses was, well, I just feel like, you know, you're in this mindset that you're just negative, so you're going to attract ne- negativity. Like, almost as if, like, I was bringing it on myself, and I just thought, oh, I can't talk to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How then, do you control that? Then I shut down. So, for a while, I did not speak to people, because I thought, I'm just going to be faced with this, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get that whole... Nobody understands what I'm going through, mm. you know, that kind it's of thing. Sometimes you just want space to like vent yeah. as well. You don't necessarily yeah. need a response from people, do you? You and just I'm, want someone to go, Yeah, that's what's happened to you. Yeah. But one of the big things, and I'm not a massive fan of social media, I do think it has its own issues, but I actually do, I personally really like it when people share the details of their story, but it's mm. a blog or it's on social mm. media. Not just the, the typical Instagram or whatever is all the positive stuff that yeah. everybody's doing. Yeah. Some of the health stuff where people actually share the details of what it's really like on a day to day basis totally. is really insightful, but also really helpful to other people yeah. to say, actually, I'm not the only one who's. Yeah, going definitely. This. Yeah, and that helped me. Well, we like, both talked about really yeah. personal things, haven't yeah. we? Yeah, yeah. And it may make people feel it. uncomfortable. It may make <laughs> us feel uncomfortable <laughs> when we talk about it, but actually, the response you get back from people is great. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it makes you want to share more. Well, on that note, I was going to say, do we have anyone who wants to share anything? No. Well, thank you for watching anyway, everyone. Can I just say one more thing yeah, on that of course. one? That people shouldn't be afraid of the silence. That if you just want to mm. sit in a room with someone and that yeah. person doesn't want to speak, that's kind of okay. Yeah. Mm. Don't feel that you've got to fill the noise because no. um, that's when people say stupid things. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. A lot of the time I just wanted someone to listen, someone yeah. to comfort me yeah. and just be with me. Yeah. 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 I didn't want anyone to fix it. Yeah. No. Because no, they can't. Because they can't, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I'm gonna make an awkward silence now. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, moving on. You look too healthy to have cancer or you should look a certain way, or cancer patients always lose their hair. Things along that vein. What do you think? Go on, Chris. Yeah, Chris, you're a good one for this. Well, we've we've lived this dream for a few weeks with the Roman Reigns wrestling 
mm. um, conundrum where he was diagnosed with a leukemia at the time and then came back to wrestling five, five months. months five yeah. months later. Um, looking a little bit smaller, less defined. Bearing in mind he's a big, muscly guy, mm. um, but oh my gosh, he hadn't lost his hair, and, he, and, he, and he's got he, long, luscious locks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he looked, <laughs> he looked good, didn't he? he? Yeah, yeah. relatively very well. <laughs> looked good. That's um, another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yes, it, it was another Brock podcast. We spoke about him in depth for some time, um, and uh, yeah, the criticism was that he doesn't look like someone with cancer, so. He obviously hasn't got cancer, um, and I think that was red rag to a ball for both of us, wasn't it, at that point? So we spent a week um, busting online. Um, I want to do the Ghostbusters thing now, but I'm not going <laughs> to... Go on, go on, that can be our myth-busting myth theme <laughs> Busting too. makes you feel good. <laughs> <laughs> so in the edit, we're just going to make yeah. sure that that gets played in every Yeah, every yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. please do that, Justin. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, that, yeah, it's really frustrating. Once again, I say as a comms person, a lot of it is media driven, so there is this image of what a cancer patient looks like, and many people do. Lots of people do look like that. Lots of people don't look like that. Yeah. But the, the popular image of a cancer patient is a certain way, and anything out of that people can't cope with. Mm. It blows people's minds that yeah. you can have a cancer and not look yeah. particularly I, I see a guy every three months or so through work, and I've seen him very, very recently. And every time I see him, he'll say, oh, you look really well, don't you? Mm-hmm. As if to say, um, you shouldn't look well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm quite surprised how well you look. Yes. And I find that really irritating because yeah. that's all he's got to say to yeah. me to a certain extent. I was like, yes. yes, I know. Yeah. I know what you're getting at. Yeah. It's fine. I think I've got a bit more time to go. I just, I just find that. It doesn't annoy me. I just find <laughs> yeah. it irritating. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the only. Yeah. You must have that. Yeah. Loads, I get it a lot. Especially if I haven't seen people for a while. Because um, I did lose my hair twice. You know, lost it, grew back, and then it fell out again. Um, and when you don't have any hair as a woman, it's like having a big arrow pointed to you saying, I've got cancer. So I didn't wear wigs because, well, rarely wore them because I just felt uncomfortable in them. Like they felt uncomfortable, you know, itchy, slipping. I just didn't like it. So I felt more comfortable in a headscarf, but then that's obvious then that you don't have hair. So yeah, you would get the double takes when you walk past people. And it did make me feel uncomfortable. It did. Um, because, yeah, I felt like I looked ill. And when my hair started growing back, then you'd get the whole, your hair's growing back, you must be fine now. Uh, which in itself is annoying because I just feel like I'm moaning about everyone. <laughs> but um, No one's ever going to talk to you I again. know, yeah, all my friends will be like that. <laughs> um, Next time you see them, oh, I said that, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah, like... <laughs> is she going to punch me? <laughs> yes, yeah. Just walk around boxing gloves on. Um, yeah, so, and I get it because I would probably say the same thing. You know, if I saw my friend who lost their hair and it was going back, oh, your hair's going back great, you look great. Um, and I do look way better than I did when I was ill, you know. Well, I hope I do anyway. <laughs> um, so I get why people would say that. Um, but yeah, you're right. Not everyone loses their hair. And with the cold cap things as well, you know, a lot of people going through chemo don't lose their hair or lose less of their hair. Yeah. Um, but even on the same treatment options, some people lose their hair, some people don't. Some people mm-hmm. completely lose their hair, some people lose bits of their hair. Yeah. Yes. The, the big, probably the biggest message we've said so far today is cancer never is a one-size-fits-all no, thing. It's, it's, it's always it's individual. It's not a measure of the severity, is it, no, in terms no. of how you look? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God, when I was riddled with cancer, 
like a week before I was diagnosed, I had some pictures taken of me just from, you know, friends' pictures on Facebook. I look great, you know, I don't look ill. And I was like, you know, weeks from death. So at mm. the time, so just how you look on the outside does not reflect how you are you are on the inside. Yeah. Um, that's a good place to stop. Yeah. Well, the Metro yeah. have got a really good series it's at the minute about um, hidden illnesses, and I think something called something like um, I don't look ill. And they the first week they did it, um, it was a CML patient. Um, Bloodwise did a story with a CML patient, but they're, they're looking at all sorts of chronic conditions that don't necessarily look ill. Yeah. But it's, it's well worth a read because yeah. they're trying to sort of change the way people look at. Different illnesses. Oh, hidden illness. It's on the Metro. It's on the online series. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's really good, really good read. But yeah, CML was the first one they did. There's also good. there's also the hidden disability angle of all of this, mm. of more generally not just not just for leukemia, but hidden disability and just you don't look like you're disabled doesn't mean you don't have problems and doesn't mean that you don't need help to deal with them. And actually, we probably should point out. Charlotte's done quite a lot of work on this on explaining cancer is a disability yeah. and if it impacts on your daily life there is help you can get specifically because you have a cancer diagnosis yeah yeah everybody is different and we've Again. seen we've seen people that have really been hit hard by CML in mm. particular mm. um you know and going so far as the underground badges that you can get that mm. gives up your seat that shows that you've got a hidden illness I think things like that are amazing mm. you know that you don't you know we're just yeah. looking after people, aren't we? That's that's what we want to do. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Let's not judge people by what we see on the outside. That's a nice way to sum it up. Nice life lesson, that is. Yeah. Be nice, always. Yeah. Yeah. So, this one kind of doesn't make much sense, but there are two statements people make. Leukemia is curable, or leukemia is incurable, are two myths, because... I think it's neither. Do you want to say something on this? Ooh, it's an in, it's an interesting one. Again, it depends on the type of leukemia, as different people have different comments on this. So, I think the acute leukemia one, people talk quite a lot about it being curable in some cases and fatal in others because of how prevalent stem cell transplants are. That's that's a big one in the acute leukemia space. In the chronic leukemia space, you can't get rid of leukemia. You will be living with leukemia. I know Chris is probably going to comment at some point on CML and the idea of treatment-free remission and whether that's curable or not. Is it a cure? There's a lot of debate about whether you've taken a tablet potentially for years, you stop taking a tablet, and your disease remains at potentially undetectable levels or very, very low levels. It's how we define cure. Mm. Well, at the very least, about it as well. At the very least, it's a functional cure. Whether what, what do we mean by cure? It's a really weird debate. But, but also something like CLL, for example, where you don't require treatment, then you might have a period where you do require treatment. They haven't cured you of your disease. They've put it down to a level where it's... Will take longer to come back again. Yeah, or just doesn't require treatment at the moment. I mean, for some for the solid tumour cancers, the idea of, say, surgery, where you can cut it out of you, even then, all they're saying is we can't find any cancer in you. They're not saying you do not, you're 100% cured. I mean, the worst story I heard from it was someone whose consultant had told them, um, after 10 years, you can, I can tell you, if it hasn't come back by now, you're fairly certain. So she held a, a party for her 10th year anniversary, her cancerversary, as she was calling it, um, and invited the consultant along. And he made a joke and said, come back to me after 20 years. 
Yeah. Not obviously that's a that's a dreadful individual story, but the idea of cure yeah. and what it means. I mean, yeah. fu- fundamentally, the idea is how to live with your life. Yeah. A lot of this comes down to the insurance companies as well. That when you have a solid mass tumor and it's cut out, the insurers mm. will then insure you after a period of time, five years normally. Whereas blood cancer patients don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are not having the stats and they're not having the information that we constantly feed them and we're a long, long way behind you know, in, in terms of that level and it all comes down to, to the cure and the understanding of, of what we go through as patients and the risk mitigation after a period of time and I think to a certain extent, people like NHS England can be as guilty of this as anyone else. Mm-hmm. When they developed the cancer strategy a few years ago, the big message from them was the NHS recovery package yeah. and how once you've dealt with cancer, once you're going to be yeah. cured, it's about reintegrating you back to normal life in that terminology. Our little rare cancers that can't, don't work like the same. Yeah, that is... Cancer, cancer doesn't work like that in all yeah. cases. There are chronic cancers where it's about living well with and managing a normal life, not get it out of me, done, tick the box, sort it. That's not how it works in some cases. Yeah. That was a quick one. That's a hard, that was a hard one as well. Mm. Yeah. But I think we summed it up nicely. Yeah. It, I feel like we're repeating the same thing, but it is all about that nobody is the same as each other and no cancer is the same yeah. as each other. And, and they're good messages to repeat as well. Yes, definitely. Young people don't get cancer. How old were you when you were diagnosed, Chris? 32. Okay. 30. <laughs> Tick, box, Tick sorted. <laughs> I suppose we, we probably should do probably. the... Kate, how do you feel about that statement rather than tick, we're done? <laughs> it's so heartless, Zach. I, I was, was going to go into some comments about the frequency in different age groups, but I probably shouldn't. See, that comment, young people don't get cancer, is funny with... Well, not funny at all, but it's a weird comment, a weird myth, because my GP who misdiagnosed me, their response was, only young people get leukemia, as in children. Um, (laughs) So actually, yeah, it's it's, mm, it's a funny myth, that one. Um, Anyone can get cancer, anyone of any age. So completely. And do you want to bring in the stats (laughs) on that? Always with the numbers. Um, okay, I, su- I suppose one of the things to probably say is cancer is more common in people over the age of 65. About two-thirds of cases will occur, in, well, will be diagnosed in people who are age 65 and over. So to a certain extent, cancer is associated with ageing. It's one of the biggest risk factors, if you can call it that. I mean, it's not the same as it's something like smoking in terms yeah. of risk factor, but it's it is associated biology. with ageing. Um, the other thing to say is leukemia everyone to your point there is a myth that leukemia only affects children quite often because of some of the media stuff that goes out there which is always a really interesting one to try and explain because leukemia is the most common childhood cancer but leukemia in children is quite rare compared to other age groups so only about 7% of leukemia cases affect children and they get two thirds of people aged 65 and over so it's uncommon for leukemia to be diagnosed in a child, but if cancer is going to be diagnosed in a child, it's quite frequently leukemia. It's about a third of cases. 
Love talking about numbers. Too. I love yeah. numbers. Number crunching. He makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. I can listen, <laughs> I can listen to him all day. <laughs> See, most people get bored. I do that. <laughs> Gosh, I never, <laughs> never. I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, me. Yeah, massively. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But also, it's it's it was weird for me because I was on the ward to begin with, and then stuck in an isolation room, so I didn't actually get a chance to meet anybody else. And when I went as an outpatient to get chemo, the majority of the people there getting chemotherapy were double my age. Yeah, I only met somebody sort of almost a year after diagnosis who was a similar age to me. And the interesting yeah. thing about that is if you look at the paediatric setting, there are specific wards for children. Mm-hmm. If you look at the teenage setting, yeah. there is specific mm-hmm. setup yeah. for teenagers. And like Teenage Cancer Trust, Click Sergeant, which I'm doing some absolutely brilliant work. The young 20s to 30s, yeah. there are charities there. There's like Shine Cancer Shine. Support are doing Trek some stock. stuff. But it's not, there's not as much awareness. There isn't as much of the kind of tailored no. support provided that there is. In other and centers. that's mainly at the big um, city hospitals, London, mm. you know, that type of thing. Um the more sort of local hospitals where I was treated. I know Birmingham was a bit, is a big hospital, but again, there was no sort of support offered for my age range. Um, and I do get the comments a lot, you know, but you're so young to have cancer. Um, yeah, but anyone can get it. So, yeah. I do think Less it's, like it's almost a missing group, your age group, in terms of mm. there, there are some good charities really doing really good stuff. I think you see more of that age group coming together online because there is mm. less out there so they, yeah. they sort of gravitate towards each other yeah and i have found like a cancer community if you like online but we're all over the world you know it's not just yeah. in the uk everywhere and it is yeah you do get support that way definitely yeah busted with some stats that one i like it <laughs> proper nerdy we do have facts behind some of this <laughs> last one and quite an interesting one in my opinion Big pharma or pharmaceutical companies, whatever you want to call them, are hiding a cure for cancer. Go on then, Nicole. <laughs> I'll give it to Zach, he's the one, but it's, it, I think it's the number one thing I read online. Obviously, I spend mm. a lot of time, time online doing comms, and we've had a lot of even tweets said to us, like, you're, you know, you're being paid by big pharma, and that's why you, you, know, you do all these lines for them. Actually, we don't, and... I think layman's terms, if there was a cure for cancer that the pharmaceuticals knew about, they'd have monetised it and made more money than anything else. Surely. Yeah. I think the the point of this is it breaks down to a few things, and we've covered some of this already, but cancer. Cancer is not one disease. There is no such thing as a cure for cancer. There is no one thing that's going to solve everybody's cancer or going to be an effective treatment for everybody's cancer. That's not how science works. And if it is, I'm quite happy to stand up here and do this video again. Challenge when, whenever, if someone, if, yeah, if someone comes back. I going to say naked. No, Chris, no. But I'm more, than happy, was the challenge. I'm more than happy to stand here and admit I'm wrong if someone can come oh, okay. up with a cure for cancer. Now, Would you but, wear that hat when you're doing it? I will wear that okay, hat. Okay, right. safer than naked. I think the second thing to say behind that is cure. We've already discussed what a cure means in mm-hmm. some cases stem cell transplants people can take as a cure so to a certain extent cures do exist in some cases we've already talked about cml and tkis if you stop taking them and remain in a functional remission that's potentially curative so well several drug companies brought drugs to market in that area they didn't sit on their cure for cancer 
Um, I think the other thing to say is Big Pharma is not one institution. There are some very competitive <laughs> companies. Um, That'll be one heck of a secret. Evil, evil people what? in lab coats walking around somewhere in hiding a volcano. this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the big thing is how many thousands of people work for drug companies. Exactly. Now, just to think about something that... Tell, tell ten people about something and tell them not to tell someone and then expect that to stay a secret. You'll hear it from everyone else you know within about a week. Yeah. Never mind trying to hide this idea of a cure. So even if even if they wanted to, functionally, how do you do it? But why would you want to? As Nicole's already said, drugs are very expensive. They cost a lot of money to develop. If you've spent many, many millions researching and developing a treatment and you find one that works, you try and bring it to market as quickly as you possibly you can. <laughs> you don't you don't sit there and go, oh, let's hide this in a vault somewhere. Because, well, well, I'm going to get really boring here and start talking about patents. You have a protection over selling a drug for a certain period of years. The whole point is it's a race to get it out in time because after that, anyone can make it. If you develop a cure, you bring it to market as quickly as you can and you sell it to people. Mm-hmm. There's no logic at all no. behind any of it. It's, it's pure conspiracy. Yeah. You know, it's not about population control or anything like that. If they could do it, they would. Yeah. And it's people that don't understand the big picture with mm. this mm-hmm. and, and are just looking for... New World Order. Yeah, either, either New World Order or the hope that isn't there. Yeah. That it's like, you're keeping it from us. That, mm. uh, there's an element of desperation about it yeah. again. You know, you're back to that. Yeah. Well, the big thing is, if pharma develop a drug that offers any benefit that they think they can bring to market, if they think it's a benefit that makes a difference that they can get a health care system to pay for, they will bring it to market. Yeah. I think, once again, I think I've just been on the media bash on this one. It's this media terminology that there is a cure for all cancers, a cancer as a collective. Because mm. uh, it's yeah. easy to say that. It's a headline. It, it's very simple. You don't have mm. to explain it. They'll come up with like a mouse study and say it's a cure Yeah, if you've got 100 words to fill on an article, you're not going to explain the complexities of what cancer is. You're mm. going, to, going to say this could be a cure for cancer. And let's be honest, you know, pharma's an easy target, isn't it? You yeah. know, it's it's it can be classed as an enemy yeah. because it makes lots of money. And if you put it in a in a Daily Mail headline... It could quite easily get on the press review on Sky and mm. on ITV in the evening, but the bottom line is they're not the enemy. It's it's as simple it's as simple as that for all the reasons that you guys are just saying. There's a, another interesting one, which is sort of linked, is charities. So research charities, to a certain extent, talk about finding a cure. Now, usually they're talking about finding a cure for their specific type of cancer that they're working in. Mm. But to a certain extent, the way that gets reported in the media or the way that gets reported in fundraising campaigns does cause some kind of perception. Yeah. I could, go on, Chris. What I'm, you're uh, I'm not going there. <laughs> That's, yes, yeah. But when you when you know how much money is involved and how much time and effort from the pharmaceutical companies is involved in developing these drugs, and you touched upon it earlier in terms of how many compounds for a charity then to start go chasing the we're going to cure this, we're going to cure that. I just find it laughable sometimes because it's a it's a it's a drop in the ocean. They they can they can contribute and they can support. So for me, the area for research for charities is early stage science, the area that doesn't make you any money to do the investigational yeah. work yeah. that other people can then go and make a fortune yeah. off. Yeah. That the is, farmer doesn't get involved in. They they do, to a certain extent, if they're already active in an area, but in most cases they don't randomly go investigating no. science in areas that they it's have expensive. no interest. It is. And to, I 
this is personal view, not kind of organizational view. I struggle with should charities be trying to commercialize some of that? If they've done the science that developed the treatment, should they try and commercialize that so they can get some payback from that and do more research yep. without trying to make profits? That's not what they were set up for. They're, they're charities. They were set up to do the scientific research. So it's... I don't know. I think it's a really difficult one. I was more just meaning the perception of cure. It's a really easy fundraising ask to go out and say, we're trying to cure cancer. Yeah. yeah. You are, but it's incremental benefits. If you take, say, myeloma as an example, the treatments that have come through over the last 15 years, none of them are what I would personally term curative, but they've made a massive difference in myeloma through a refractory relapsing disease that at each line there is now a different treatment alternative that you can have. Not quite snappy though. I was going to say, that doesn't look <laughs> no, so no, great on the envelope, does it? But that's that's my point. It's easy to, and Nicole kind of said this earlier, it's easy to put across the message, oh yeah, we'll cure cancer, that's fine. That's, we, we'll keep working until we've cured mm-hmm. cancer and at some point, maybe we will develop a treatment that's a functional cure for every type of cancer, but it's not going to be the same thing. Do I think they could, if I, that, that's the thing, could cancers be cured, individual strains, probably, yeah, if they worked on something for long enough. It's the whole idea that as a pot you can do it. I know the yeah. theory cancer could mutate, it, it could become move. a different thing. Yeah. That's the different thing. It's more about making sure people live well in the life that they have got, making sure people have got you know drugs to treat symptoms, um, looking at late effects of cancer, you know, giving people support in a rare. So I know a report came out last week looking at a study on boys that were treated for cancer when they're children about preserving their fertility it's about moving on with those areas of life rather than just purely focus on cure 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 okay yeah cure is really important but actually there's a wider picture about living with cancer or living beyond cancer yeah it's a great vision yeah you know and we've all been involved in visioning processes and and you know thinking big and you know, I applaud people for having that vision and you can sort of tie it into eradicate homelessness you know, I love that. I think that's an amazing message. But you're not gonna, you're not gonna eradicate homelessness. You are going to help it. You're going to support it. But it will move, mm. and something else will happen, and other people's situations might change. So it's a constant battle. It's a ne- it's almost a never ending battle. But our job is essentially to just to keep trying, mm. and that's the it's, job of a vision. It gives people options. I think. Mm is what it is. Maybe not so much a cure for everyone, but to have options gives you hope. And I think that's the most important thing. Hope. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and constantly pushing for an improvement. That, that is the aim. Every treatment coming to market to make things better for yep. cancer patients. Yeah. Not eventually getting to the situation where people have a normal life expectancy and can manage with all of the things. But it's not all about life expectancy, is it? Sometimes it's about quality of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and that's a positive as well. I did think, the art, going back to the article about like, young boys being monitored, you know, see if their fertility is affected by treatment as a child. I think that's a huge move. The teenage Cancer Trust did a huge thing on, on having counsellors you know, in hospitals. It is a real yeah. late effect. Yeah, you know, a lot of these kids are treated at an age where they're not even going to be thinking about that. But no. when they get to the point where they need to think about that, those there's nothing they can technically do about it. Those future generations can make such a difference to their life. That's my go-to um, social media comment thing. But because I've been outspoken about sperm banking and all that, I get a lot of parents 
come to me talking about, you know, my, my, my child has done this and, and he didn't. And is it too late? And, you know, an adult and I've just got married and I want to start a family. And I'm just like, oh man. It's such a huge area. Yeah, it is a huge area. Yeah. It is, yeah. And it's not spoken about. No, so that's no. for another podcast. Well, because it's an area I could talk for hours and hours on. So yeah, yeah definitely. We definitely talk about that again. We'll, we we'll pause this podcast <laughs> yeah. and then you and Charlotte <laughs> can just keep filming for the next <laughs> hour and a half. Is that yeah. okay? No, so, I'm sure they could do longer than that. It's such a huge area. Yeah, it is, it is. Yeah. But from both perspectives, fertility, it's mm. it's easy to look at it from the one perspective. Mm. It, it, but fertility is a broader concept than just pregnancy. Yeah. Mm. And, oh, even family planning, some some people are, can't adopt if they're only so many years away from yeah. having cancer and things like that. It's a huge area. Yeah. It affects massive, so many yeah. people yeah. and it takes away choices. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That choice is then taken away. What other choice have you got? Then that's criminal. Thank you for listening and watching, everyone, and um, see you next episode. Bye. 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 I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bloodstream. You can read more about leukaemia on our website. Just head to www.leukemiacare.org.uk. If you would like support after a diagnosis or are affected by blood cancer in any way, you can visit our website, email support at leukemiacare.org.uk, or call our helpline 08 088 we are open Monday to Friday, 8.30 to 5.30 and 7 to 10pm on Thursdays and Friday evenings.